This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, is Christianity anti-human? We're asking this question today to Reverend Dr. Michael Jensen. Michael works as the Senior Minister at St. Mark's Anglican Church in Darling Point in Sydney. He also did a PhD on martyrdom and identity, the self on trial. He's a popular speaker, author and media commentator, and he joins me now. Michael, welcome to Bigger Questions. Oh, thanks for having me, Rob. It's great to be here uh, attempting to answer a bigger question. It is, a, it is a big question, there's no doubt about it. But Michael, you did your PhD on martyrdom. What made you do that? It doesn't sound the most cheery of topics. I used to be a school chaplain back in the early 2000s, and uh, I mean, culture's changed, but not that much. Uh, I used to go in and try and talk about Christian ethics to the uh, kids in Year 9 and Year 10. They're all very bright and thoughtful. And I realised that a lot of the, the issues we were talking about, which are ethical issues, were uh, I could never get them to even see a Christian perspective uh, at all, even, even, even understand it with any empathy. Most of them are not Christians, even though it was a church school. And uh, I realised it was because there's a, just a different way of thinking about human meaning and identity um, that they have imbibed from the secular Western paradigm, a thoroughly different way of thinking of the world. And that was that was very much self-referential. I am who I say I am. Um, I am uh, the self-made person and you can't tell me what to do. I have to find my ethical compass from within. In contrast to that, when I talked about people who'd laid down their lives uh, for Christ, uh, this just blew their minds. I mean, they couldn't really fathom it at all. They just thought it was stupid. So I realised that this was a kind of pointy end for a conversation about how we answer the profound question, who am I? What kind of a being am I as a human person? So it was a way, uh, martyrdom was a great lens through which to analyse the discussion in uh, contemporary philosophy and society and literature about uh, the meaning and nature of a human person and the Christian response. That does connect to our big question today, because isn't the idea of martyrdom somehow anti-human, you're encouraging people to die for a cause greater than themselves for a future world of which we're not even sure exists? Well, that's the accusation. And um, I really looked at this accusation carefully because uh, in the contemporary world, uh, martyrdom is associated with uh, hatred of life and um, hatred of the other, uh, not a universal human picture, but a, I die for my little community. And in many cases, I don't just die for my little community, I die killing others. So the suicide bomber is the kind of ghost that haunts this discussion. And so that's what people think martyrdom is a, is a, is a sort of hatred, of hatred of life, hatred of others, the, the most deeply unloving thing, in fact, and also breeds resentment. In fact, Nietzsche, uh, the great 19th century philosopher, pointed this out, that resentment was kind of caused by the, uh, by the cult of the martyrs. And that certainly has infected some parts of the Christian, Christian faith. Uh, but true martyrdom, the martyrdom that's modelled on Jesus Christ, is actually laying down one's life for one's enemies. And it's an expression of enemy love as well as uh, love, of the, love of the Christian community. It's not you're not dying for the Christian community. You're dying uh, in, in actually as an expression of love because you're showing people uh, the truth. You're, you're um, telling them what life really is like, that it actually is valuable. Um, now, most of the Christian martyrs of the early, of the early church uh, were not terrorists, right? They didn't want to destroy yeah. Rome. They wanted to honor the emperor. And the, the little dialogues we have, the little court reports of the early martyrdoms are fascinating in this regard because they don't say, 
um, I hate you, Emperor, and I wish you to be torn down and destroyed and killed. They're not trying to assassinate him. What they're trying to do is say, look, I honor you and I pray for you, but I can't worship you as a god. And that's actually really humanizing because it's right. telling us that human power is not divine. Yeah, and that's a really important thing for us to learn as history shows. Mm, wow. Well, that's an interesting segue into our big question today, Michael. So it sounds like you're the ideal guest for us. Uh, and to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask some smaller questions just to get us thinking. Today, we're talking with Michael Jensen about if Christianity is anti-human. So, Michael, in today's smaller question, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about Christianity as anti-human. Okay, now there's just one question, which is multiple choice. And given you oh. have a PhD, I thought you'd give you a really hard quote and see if you can work out who said it. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, who said Christianity was from the beginning essentially and fundamentally life's nausea and disgust with life, merely concealed behind masks by dressed up as faith in another or better life? Was it A, Richard Dawkins? B, Bertrand Russell? C, Frederick Nietzsche, or D, Jean-Paul Sartre? Well, it sounds like either C or D. Um, it is. So just to help you out there, yeah. <laughs> um, because uh, Dawkins and Russell had more rationalistic arguments against Christianity. Nietzsche and um, Sartre have aesthetic arguments, that is that Christianity is, is a destruction of life, which is our question, a kind of a denial of the goodness of human life, which is our question yes. today. It does sound like Nietzsche because he wrote a book called Nausea. So I'm going to go plumb for Nietzsche. Well, it's a good one to plumb because Nietzsche is the correct answer. It is actually C. Uh, and if we had a live audience here today, they'd give you an enormous round of applause. Um, so congratulations. So, Michael, it was the great German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche who disliked Christianity for many reasons, but one was because Christians believed in a higher existence. He claimed in that quote that Christians are not content with this life because of all the bad in it, so they force themselves to believe in a glorious, perfect afterlife. Now, does that make the Christian faith against our present human experience? Because he called it disgust with life. Yes, and uh, it can do. And see, the thing about Nietzsche is that he's criticising our Christianity that he observed and I, th I think it can do. It can it can it can be a life denial, and also the way we talk sometimes about the life to come can be a denial of the goodness of the human body and of our life here. That we're we're simply here um, doing a read through uh, to misquote the Chili Peppers for the life to come, which is really a bunch of floating around in heaven uh, in bodiless existence playing the harp. But uh, the uh, the real faith of Christianity is actually directed towards a more human, a fulfilled human existence. And so I hope Nietzsche helps us to show how we've mispreached uh, the Bible or misunderstood it, because the resurrection, if we properly understand it, shows us the, the glorification and the solidity of the future. In the 20th century, C.S. Lewis would write a vision of her in his book, The Great Divorce. He would write about heaven as more real than real. And I think that's very helpful because it says, that the world to come is not different from this uh, world. It is this world transformed. And so it leads us to not deny the goodness of life here, but actually to, to value it immensely, but not to be defeated either by, by suffering and the tragic here in this life. Mm. But can't that lead to diminishing the value of the present though? Uh, it could do, but actually, if you read the New Testament, it, gives us hope in the present, which should lead to extraordinary actions in the present, uh, because it empowers us to do things in the present. It doesn't leave us helpless in the present. And it also doesn't 
make an idol of the present. I would say you can overdo the present. I mean, if you don't believe in a transcendent future, if you don't believe um, that God's got it, and that there's a redemption possible, then the present is all you have and you cling desperately to the present, even when it's futile to do so, to easily give up hope, I think, actually. And particularly for someone like Nietzsche, he's then saying, well, you know, be powerful. You have to kind of rely on your human power. It's a dog-eat-dog world, so you've got to be a dog. And I think, um, I think, well, even if it's a super dog, uh, I think that's a terrible ethical place to be. I mean, what if you if you just have the present, you have no judgment, you have no way of saying, look, actually acting ethically in the present will work is the best thing to do because mm. you have no way of knowing that. Mm. You might as well just rely on your power. And I suppose also is the redemption then harder because, well, if you've only got one life, if you make a few mistakes, then you kind of messed up, messed it up really, I suppose, haven't you? Yes, absolutely. And uh, you've you've messed it up, but also um, if things happen to you, you have to take all uh, means necessary to just, as I say, to, to act. Um, you, you're not resilient to the things that inevitably come to us. So I think it's quite noticeable that um, it's the Christian community that adopts and fosters children and does not abort its uh, disabled children uh, because we have a way of saying, look, you might actually receive from your intent to be a parent, uh, you might receive a child who is not the child you dreamed for, uh, but it's okay. What you need to do is actually uh, is actually to tend to the child that, that you have. Whereas if, you, if your life is the only life you have, then you will do everything you can to avoid that, including terminating the pregnancy. Mm. Now, today's big question is, is Christianity anti-human? And there are other ways in which people consider the Christian faith to be anti-human. Uh, there are others who consider Christianity as holding an anti-human theology tantamount to learning to hate yourself. One online author claimed to not recover from deep self-hatred that they say came from the teachings of Christianity. They said that rather than affirming what is good within humanity, Christianity begins with a condemnation of all that is bad. So doesn't the notion of sin make Christian theology anti-human? Well, it can do, right? So I think, again, misplaced, uh, misdirected, it, it can be cast and received as an anti-human teaching. So I'm, I'm happy to say we need to kind of calibrate um uh, we need to find our range. We need to calibrate our teaching rightly and, and look look more deeply at the New Testament in particular uh, and the old uh, about what uh, Christianity actually teaches here. And, of course, we need to begin, I think, with the fundamental goodness of human beings. And maybe we've not done this as, as, as much as we should have. The miracle of uh, human existence, the extraordinary paradox of human significance in, uh, but yet the human insignificance in the size of the universe. And then... Um, the Bible's way of saying that uh, human beings amongst all the creatures are made in the image of God. I think we need to return to this teaching again and again and again and see human beings as not as demonic but tragic. Uh, I, as a literary scholar, that's, uh, that, that kind of language helps me a lot. That is a tragic mindset says human beings are made for good but don't reach the potential that they're actually made for. I think we almost all can agree that that's the case. That helps us not to just have a blind optimism in human nature, uh, which is, I think, equally problematic. I mean, I would say that to the secular, to, to the secular person, um, I would challenge their blind optimism in human uh, human mm. nature because I think our faith in humanity is is a bad faith. I think it's not. Yeah. It's not a. It's it's not good because um, it, we're not. We as a race are not trustworthy. In fact. 
Well, again, isn't that sort of a, a negative way of looking at it? Because, I mean, the friendly atheist, uh, Hemant Mater, claims that your religion is broken if it teaches you you're a sinner or that you're broken. And he claimed that no one has to repent for just being human. But doesn't he have a point here? Yeah, he does. You don't have to repent for just being human. Um, you should glory in being human. But it's not repenting of being human. In fact, the and we know this from the destiny, the way in which... Uh, Christianity talks about the future of human beings because you're not going to become unhuman. You're going to become more human. Your finitude is not a bad thing. Your, your not godness is not a problem. It's when we think we are God and the fact that all, all human beings are complicit in the rebellion of the human race. That's a different way of thinking. I, I think I think it's overstated uh, a kind of bad Christian teaching. Uh, I don't think Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, teaches what he claims they do. And I, I think your theology is not bad. If it's honest about what human beings uh, do, we find new ways to uh, hurt and harm and destroy our environment, uh, each other, and uh, people we don't know. Uh, we're extraordinarily good at being good at that. As we invent new technologies, we invent new ways of doing evil. I think that's just evident from from history. So, you know, they say original sin is the one a Christian doctrine that you can uh, you can prove from from history, and I think it's I, I don't think that's deniable. Mm. Hmm. There's a sense of realism uh, about the the nature of the human condition. Yeah, that's right. But see, that we're tragic. We're good but distorted. Good but fallen. Mm. Uh, and so that's that's the the template. I think that we the language that we need to to use. So, just referring to the uh, the previous online uh, author who claimed that they had to recover from deep self-hatred. So does the notion that we are corrupted or sinful lead to self-hatred? No. No, it doesn't lead to self-hatred. Again, not if um, taught correctly. Because I think um, it leads to self-hatred if you are the only kind of yardstick and arbiter. If, you, if, you, if we also combine that with the fact that you sort of have to find within you the resources to love yourself, actually human, uh, the human psyche and human identity is, in my view, best protected by the knowledge of the love of God for us. And God's, God's reaction to our, to our sinfulness is not at odds with his love because he takes us seriously. Uh, he takes what we do seriously. We're, not, we're treated as adults in, in our good and our bad, but also God's love for us as his creatures and as those he um, intends to redeem. Is, is extraordinary. It's extraordinary, it's personal, it's particular. And so I, I think these, I, I, I mean, I speak to um, parents of new babies as we baptize them, and I say wonderful gift you can give your child is the knowledge that even when they don't like themselves, God loves them. So it's actually a ground by which you can come to an appropriate but not narcissistic appreciation of, uh, of your own value because you are objectively valued by the one who made you. Mm. Today's big question is, is Christianity anti-human? And in the Gospel of John, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have, Jesus seems to address this question. In John 10.10, where he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So this claim, Michael, is a bit of audacious for Jesus to make this claim. 
It is an audacious and bold, uh, a bold, bold claim. And I pondered it for many years. I mean, I think it's one of those statements that you never really grasp the full meaning of it because there's more and more meaning to be unfolded in it. Um, but one of the questions that, uh, one of the great challenges to Christianity is that Christianity is anti, anti-pleasure, that mm. we renounce things now um, because we don't, we think they're evil. We don't like them. Um, and so we then live a kind of truncated distortion of human life. Uh, we, we kind of check into the nursing home way early. <laughs> we give up all the good, all the, we don't suck the marrow out of life. We kind of leave the marrow very much in life and live a sort of half-life. Uh, now, again, I think there are forms of religion that do this, and um, sometimes Christianity has done that too. Um, on the other hand, though, human beings have tried hedonism as well, and that's certainly the uh, spirit of our age, that... Uh, indulging every wish of our hearts, uh, we should be free to do so. And in fact, that's the path to to utter fulfilment. Um, but this is disastrous. I mean, this is kind of manifestly not the case. This is no way to live either. In fact, it's it leads to dehumanising of the human person. Uh, it it destroys us. It destroys our relationships. It, it makes love impossible because when you just indulge the hedonistic, you become utterly utterly self centred. Yet human beings are made for love and loving relationships. And um, when we uh, manage to put um, the good things of these world of this world uh, in their right place, we understand them and appreciate them what they are as good gifts from God. I think it means then, if we see things as gift from God, we 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 can see that there may be higher priorities and higher purposes. We understand that. We need to appreciate the goodness of creation in the context of loving relationships, where in fact we find deeper, much deeper pleasure, mm. uh, more pleasure than we could ever understand. So uh, paradoxically, it may seem giving things up may lead to a much richer life, you know, giving, giving things up because we see that pursuing that way of living actually will uh, be unloving to others or will take us away from a higher good, a higher thing we might do, mm. actually leads to a, a more fulfilled and enriched life. Mm. But, so, but how does this connect to Jesus though? Because he's the one that claims to offer life and life to the full. So how does he do that? I think that the crucial things that he does in the cross uh, by dying for our sins and then by rising to new life and by then giving us his Holy Spirit. And those three things, which are really part of the one thing, they give us not just hope for the future, but hope that we can experience in the present, which transforms our experience of this life. Just as by dying for our sins, he takes away our expectation of doom and gloom, that death is the end which corrupts our life. We have to live in denial of it otherwise. And so likewise, he transforms our experience of this life. Uh, also, by building us into a new community of people, uh, he gives us loving, he enables us to experience loving relationships, um, the joy of giving and receiving in loving relationship, which again, immeasurably enriches our life. But you don't need Jesus to have loving relationships though, do you? No, you don't. No, you don't. You can. You can. Uh, I think one of the things is, you, of course, you can. Uh, you can expand in all areas of, of life is you can experience kind of in a piecemeal fashion uh, the kind of good things that that Christ offers. I mean, we can. We forgive one another. We we experience the goodness of creation. We catch glimpses of the beauty of God in the world. But when it's anchored in the in in real forgiveness and in real hope, I mean, those things I don't think we can have. 
outside of what Jesus gives us. I think he remarkably gives us that. And that's what, uh, as I minister to those who are dying, I actually see um, before my eyes, I see, um, I see tears wept rightly. Um, people are not denying the badness of what's all the, the, the gravity of death, but they also, um, they're not just being stoic. They're not kind of pretending to laugh it off, but they have real hope. They're able to pray uh, even in the face of this. They're, they know love uh, in it too. They know that God is there for them. Uh, they experience his nearness. Mm. So if Jesus does offer life and life to the full and, and all of the benefits and blessings as you've just outlined, why do people feel constrained and constricted by the Christian faith if Jesus comes to offer this? Something doesn't seem quite right here. Well, two things. One one is um, I think that um, Christians have done, I've said this all through this conversation, and I think sometimes I, I will admit Christians have done a bad, bad job. It's far easier in some ways to preach a, a message which is about, about the rules because human beings are very much, we're attuned to hearing the rules and it's easy. We can, we can do deal with a checklist, right? We know. Uh, and so we've kind of drained the, the life, the, the particularly the relational life out of the Christian faith. And I think a lot of people who have criticism of Christianity have kind of received it like that for which I can only, uh, I, I am as aghast in one sense as they are, because I think this is a poor distortion. Uh, it's a poor shadow of the real thing. Um, so that's the first thing I think we preached it badly. But secondly, I think um, I think in the current uh, the current zeitgeist is doing everything it can to distort the Christian message, to paint the Christian message as cruel and life denying because it wants us to embrace a life of consumer freedom. It wants us to uh, purchase products. Uh, it wants us to feel unfettedly selfish, um, so it can be uh, so we can we can be that. Uh, it wants us to. Uh, pursue a life of free sexual expression as much as possible. There are a lot of people with vested interests in doing in uh, in preaching that message too, um, and also uh, because it wants us to uh, uh, preach a message which says that that human beings are not actually in any final way responsible for what we do. And so here here's the thing: so <laughs> Christianity, uh, which preaches a message of grace. It preaches a message of forgiveness. Also, in preaching forgiveness, says no, but we are responsible for what we do. We, we what we do is is serious uh, and needs to be taken seriously. And we we are held to a high, to account at a higher judge, but at a higher court by a higher judge. The message which the secular message says no, no. The only judge you have is uh, well, it's Twitter and Instagram and you, and um, it wants us to live that life. Um, but that is actually. It paints, it paints the Christian matches it's cruel and foreboding, but actually actually the Christian God is marvelously uh, patient and merciful in comparison to the judge that we expose ourselves to. Um, so you cast yourself for a very, very cruel God if you're hoping that uh, if you're saying that Twitter is my judge in the end. Mm. Um, so um, so that there is there is uh, no forgiveness with, with Twitter as we know. Mm. So, Michael, then, do you feel deprived of life by being a Christian? Um, do I feel deprived of uh, of life? Um, not in any well. Well, I have made. I have. Um, I've renounced some th- uh, some things. Uh, Christianity and being a Christian has come at a at a cost, and not not at the cost that um, it has for others um, that I know. Mm. But um, certainly, being a Christian has uh, meant that I haven't pursued careers that would be more 
rewarding. Uh, I haven't pursued that. Uh, you know, I gave up uh, cricket, a sport I love, because I could see that, you know, really it wasn't very relational given what I want to do. It didn't fit with my church life. Um, I, I won't I won't say these are massive sacrifices, um, but they, they, they're there. They're decisions that I've made that um, wouldn't have been mm. the kind of hedonistic path I might have chosen. I don't find them a particular loss at all. I, I think what I receive is um, is a, a hope that lasts, a, a hope that actually makes life not simply happy because happiness is ephemeral. Happiness is just a momentary experience if you can shut out the bad things. But I have joy, um, which doesn't mean no tears, by the way, and doesn't mean I'm sort of sunny and annoyingly optimistic all the time. Um, but it means that I, I think I... Um, I, I'm carried through life. I can face the the, the difficulties and problems um, that come to everyone w- without despair, and uh, mm. that is a that is an extraordinary gift. That's a great way to live. I'd encourage others to to embrace it. So, what was it about the Christian message that convinced you that it was worth following? Was it was it this hope or, or this idea that uh, you've just outlined, or was it something else? Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I think grace in particular grabbed me because I'm an eldest child, and so I tend to uh, being a little legalist and a self righteous little uh, priggishness is the word you might use, and um, <laughs> that was the deceit of my heart, and uh, I found I found that exposed. Um, I found that 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 uh, the sh- the shock of God's mercy actually exposed that, uh, and um, humbled me. And actually gave me a way of um, seeing myself as not God, which was uh, a bit of a, you know, that's not an easy thing. It's a humbling experience. Or not. Most of us do think we're sort of God. But um, but uh, what a release that was um, from the grind of performance, having to measure up to your own standards or having to measure up to the world's mm. standards. And it's left me, uh, it, it leaves me free to pursue other things. Now I'm, I'm a kind of committed sort of, you know, I, I like to do lots of things and uh, I love the satisfaction of achievement um, and they, they're fine, but I find that um, it's a really helpful reset for me, a really helpful context for me that if I don't achieve, that's fine. If I don't achieve what I, I am ambitious to achieve, that's actually it's actually all right. Um, and it gives, gives me a motivation to be to be ambitious for sharing God's grace. I mean, that's, that's a, a marvellous message to be uh, commissioned to share. Mm. So, Michael, is Christianity anti-human? No, uh, far from it. Christianity is human all too human, to borrow the title of one of uh, Nietzsche's books. In fact, um, I reckon Christianity is a form of humanism. In the end, we actually worship a human being because God became a human being uh, and it still remains. Jesus remains uh, a human being, though a transformed one. So I think it's pretty hard to say that Christianity is anti-human since the one we worship is human. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to this big question. Is Christianity anti-human? From John 10.10, where Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Reverend Dr. Michael Jensen. Thanks for having me, Rob.